Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, hey, welcome back to another live episode of the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, the founder and managing director at a search firm called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across MedTech to build high-performing teams. It's been a minute. We haven't. We were off last week, but we are back live in living color, uh, broadcasting live on LinkedIn with Adam Sapi here from the firm as well, who's with me always, and our good friend, Nick Swike, who is a talent acquisition veteran in his own right, currently leads talent acquisition for a company called a Collegium Pharmaceuticals. Guys, how are you, man? Good. Great. Good. Well, welcome back. We were off last week, but we're back with a, another topic in talent. And today we're going to talk about that first meeting that hiring managers have with candidates. And what do hiring managers need to discuss in an effort to, quote unquote, sink their teeth in a little bit more when it comes to candidates' interest level, right? So it's one thing to get fish on the line. It's another thing to ha- try and get the fish in the boat. And if you can't uh, sink your hook in deep enough, it's going to be hard to keep that fish on the line, right? Pardon me for the fishing analogy, but we're coming into spring and I'm excited about that. (laughs) So that's where we're going to kind of focus today. And I just put up a post on on LinkedIn about this. And we're going to use that as basically a a guide to what we're going to talk about live here today. But maybe I kind of want to almost work backwards into this as to where I see organizations perhaps going wrong. This mentality of, okay, a candidate's interested. We're going to schedule the meeting with the hiring manager and the hiring manager is going to get on the phone and qualify that person. And the hiring manager spends all the time qualifying that person, doesn't really go into what's in it for the candidate that much, has this idea that, okay, the candidate's qualified. Thank you for your time. We'll move you on. Oh, do you have any questions? You know, can ants ask surface level questions? And then they go and schedule this whole panel. Well, what about the fact that this candidate who, you know, for the sake of this conversation is top talent, your whole, you're totally forgetting that this can has options. This can doesn't need to necessarily work for you. So it's not a game of, it's not a one-sided track where let me just qualify and see if we should be talking to this person further. It's more so, does this person even want to continue talking to us? And that's what I want to dig in today. So Nick, you offline started to mention that some of the things in my post kind of relate to what we all like to, uh, to term as the employer value proposition. Will you kind of go into what is that and kind of how are you using this as a guide as you're, as you're getting ready to recruit for jobs and help hiring managers? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and I would call anything that an employer has to offer um, high-end talent part of that employer value proposition. And, you know, most companies have gone out and they've spent a lot of money building out these EVPs, largely to drive the marketing on their career page or, um, you know, the conversations recruiters might be having with employees. I think one of the bigger mistakes the companies often make is they go with a peanut butter approach, which is one EVP for the company, as if to suggest it's the same set of selling points that mm. 
every person in every department that might be joining the company might really engage with and relate to. And I, I think that's a, a fallacy. I think if you're recruiting somebody from the finance and accounting team, the value that the employer offers is going to look very different or what they're looking for is very different than say, the value that someone in manufacturing might be looking for. And so I think that's an important piece to, to think about. There are a thousand reasons why someone might want to work at my company. And I've got to very quickly figure out what are the key reasons this specific person is going to engage with? What are, what are the things I need to share? But to your point, it isn't just about me, the recruiter. Let's, let's be honest, candidates don't really want to talk to recruiters anyway, right? They don't, they don't believe us, you know, selling them a, a bag of goods, right? So they want to hear those key points from the hiring manager directly. And so I start way back at the beginning of process when we open up a requisition, recruiters will engage in what we call an intake discussion or kickoff meeting uh, with the hiring managers. And I ask the very same questions you would put in your post during that meeting so that as a recruiter, I can understand, you know, from your specific world, what are the key selling points, right? I understand why someone would want to join my company. There's a lot of great reasons. What about for this quality engineer? What's going to be the hook for them? What's compelling and sexy about this role from their perspective? Um, what's your leadership style? How how much development are you able to provide to get them thinking about these things? Because if they're not having taking the time to bring those up in the first call, candidate's going to be left wondering if what I told them was actually accurate or if it's this HR vision of what we could be someday but aren't today, right? And so the, the important pieces for any leader listening, don't assume because you're having an interview that this candidate is 100% in, ready to quit their job and join you. That is not necessarily the case. A lot of candidates want to go through the interview process to learn more about the company. And if you're not prepared to sell your position and your company and your leadership style, there's a very good chance I'm going to come in and eat your lunch. Absolutely. And and I think it's really important to hammer this home that let's say somebody is gainfully employed and considering making a change. And let's say that you're the first stop on the block and you, for example, you've had a headhunter uh, who's partnering with you to go out and attract talent. And they've been successful in bringing somebody very qualified to the table for you to interview. And this person wasn't thinking about making a change, but now they're at least open-minded to hearing what you have to say. Once that switch goes off in their mind that they're open-minded to this conversation, the floodgates open. Now the next recruiter that calls, yeah, sure, I might as well talk to their client too. And before you know it, they've got three interviews on their plate, okay? So that's number one, which means it's so important that you truly listen to what we're saying today about how do you sink your teeth in and actually grab their interest versus treat it as though I'm just going to screen them and make sure that they're qualified uh, you know, for our job. That's number one. The second piece of that is if somebody is not gainfully employed and they're interviewing with you, they're doing everything they possibly can to land on their feet as, as fast as they can, which means they've got umpteen interviews on their plate, which means it's even more important that you are able to continue to, to attract them. So, yeah, I love what you said about the employer value proposition and some of the things that you asked during that kickoff meeting with the hiring manager. Um, one of the things that I had shared as far as three things you need to discuss with the candidate right away to solidify their interest is establishing your vision. Uh, for either the department, the functional area, the organization, depending on the size of the company and what the position actually is, 
But where are you guys trying to go? What is the overarching vision? So that somebody can feel like they're a part of something greater than just for, to use Nick's example, the quality engineer who's going to come in and do validation verification. Okay, as a result of doing that, where how does that correlate with our overarching vision? Where are we trying to go, right? The second thing, and I, Adam, I want you to talk about this if you, if you could, because you're great at this as far as flushing it out with hiring managers, is what are the two, if not three, critical projects or priorities that you want this person to work on right away? It's really important to talk about this up front for two reasons. One, it gives a candidate a sense of what are they getting involved with? And two, it's also allowing you to screen right then and there about their experience against those priorities you want help with. But Adam, talk, if you would, a little bit more about that and from your perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge one because when I ask candidates, hey, how would you rank this particular opportunity versus the others that you have in, in, in the process? Generally, they'll go through and the ones that rank lowest are, hey, it's very vague or ambiguous. I'm not even sure, you know, hey, tell me about this other role at with X, Y, and Z company. And if I hear, honestly, I don't know. I've talked to three people. I'm still not clear what the top priorities are or what I would be doing there. And then I kind of give them a second. And as they hear themselves talk about that, they're like, yeah, I'm out like that. That's a, a quick way to lose lose interest. And just backing up really quick, I think you're exactly right, Mitch. You had talked about kind of the two of the three buckets where I, I feel like most candidates are now. Six months ago, everyone was gainfully employed. If they could top grade that, they would, you know, they would consider that. And that's still a case. Um, and then two is people that are laid off or were part of layoffs. And and like you said, they're all in. Like their whole day job is finding another job. So you still need to make that uh, business case to attract them. And then third, a lot of people are playing defense. So even if it's slow, like, eh, I feel like, you know, with everything, all this uncertainty, I should at least get some feelers out there. If you don't, like you said, if you don't hook them on the first meeting, they're done. Whether, you know, they, they don't, they're just like, fine. I, I felt that one out. I don't feel right. That's not the right opportunity for me. I'm out either way. So you, you've got to really, you know, do their good, do a good job on, on step one. And then, uh, you know, I'm kind of bouncing around here a little bit, but um, yeah, I think if you don't have the vision, one, they're not going to trust you as your new leader, but also um, they're not going to know, hey, am I the right person for this role? You know, if it's like, hey, we need to implement a new QMS and then get a 5K approved. I'm really excited about that. That's what I'm good at. Or I've done 60% of this and this is an upside for me because now this helps expand the breadth and depth of my experience. So if you fail to, to paint that picture you're going to lose candidates immediately and you're going to move potentially move people along the process that aren't going to be a good fit for you anyway. To borrow a, a term or a line from uh, a good buddy of mine, David uh, Stefan Patterson in the recruitment industry, he's like, top talent wants to be able to self-actualize. They want to be able to spread their wings. They want to be able to achieve their potential. And if they don't see a way forward of how they're going to eventually be able to continue to work towards achieving their potential with you, it's not going to make sense for them. And what I mean by that is you all, here's number three of what you should dis discuss with a, with a candidate on your first meeting is if you come in, here's kind of our vision. Here's the priorities that we're trying to work on right away. If you are successful in helping us achieve these things, this is kind of what growth can look like within our organization and really mapping that out for them. Hey, I've been with this company four years. I started as an analyst. I became a, a lead. I became a manager. And now today I'm a vice president. Here's how I got there. And you could possibly follow a similar track because I see our organization expanding to do this, this, and this. And so there is a track, right? Or it's, you know, a painting a different picture depending on what the circumstances are. But here's the key. And this goes back to what Nick said very early on. If you don't know what's important to the candidate, it's very hard to paint the right picture. So painting a picture of how you can become a vice president really is kind of a moot point if a person doesn't want to be a vice president. And so this is a little bit of a finesse as far as asking, hey, I understand that you've, you're an experienced quality engineer now. Why are, you, why are you working so hard day in and day out? What are you working towards? 
let them tell you first before you paint the picture of what growth can look like. Because other, yep. otherwise you're selling to kind of like a, a blank canvas and that's never a good thing. Yeah. Hey, my dream is actually to move to Europe. Oh, well, that's interesting. Our headquarters are in Switzerland. If you do this, this and this, there's a good chance that, you, you know, you can move over to that side. Or if, if people management leadership is not uh, you're in your trajectory, you're absolutely right. You're flying blind. I've got one bonus that I had also put in the post. But Nick, is there anything that we're, you feel like we're missing in terms of the importance of what a hiring manager should cover in that first meeting with candidates? No. And I love that you call yourself because your age was showing a little bit, Mitch, as you talked immediately about advancement, because I would say for our generation, that was almost always the default, right? And what I have learned is the generation immediately following, and I'm not naming my generation, so don't get excited, guys, but immediately that followed me, it's a mixed bag. Some people do want that advancement. Other people want the ability to move from department to department, really expand the breadth of their knowledge. Other people really want that specialization, that, that depth of knowledge, and, and they want to be a truly inspirational individual contributor throughout their career. So I think gone are the days that you, you could just assume that mapping out advancement is the right sort of solution that's going to be the hook. And, and I think you did a great job of kind of highlighting the, the need to really actively listen to your candidate first before you start pulling any tools out of your uh, how to sell this opportunity toolbox, uh, because otherwise you, you are selling the wrong item, right? And Adam points out another one, right? Maybe it's, I want to move to Europe, or I grew up in California and I would desperately like to get home at some point because my parents are aging, or there's a thousand different motivators that lead candidates to uh, consider new opportunities. And, and if you don't take the time to actually listen and align your operations with those objectives, um, you're, you're going to be dead in the water. The other thing I'd just add is that you shouldn't be too worried if you can't meet their needs, right? So if they do want to move to Europe, if they do want to move to California, and those are not things that are going to be apparent in this role or, or an option, it allows for you to potentially fail fast, right? And so um, and I think we've talked about this in, in prior shows that I struggle really hard to make sure I put the selling points out there. Yes, but I also want to put the bad and the ugly out there too, so that candidates that aren't aligned to what we're trying to do, be it the vision, be it the responsibilities, be it the long-term outlook for this position, that they can self-select out empower your candidates who know themselves better than you will ever know them, even once they work there, give them those details and don't be afraid of letting themselves withdraw so that you can focus your time and energy on those candidates where the objectives they have for their career, for themselves, are aligned with yours organizationally. Love That's it. a really good point. Love it. And I love what you said about the failing fast because it's Maybe it's not the right fit. And that's the whole point. It's got to be the right fit for both parties. And being honest about that with yourself and kind of with the candidate is a great thing versus these organizations who, well, I think they might be OK and send them through this whole panel only to find out what they already knew way up front. It's like, well, come on, let's let's kind of cut bait when it doesn't make sense and move on to something that might make more sense for both parties. The bonus that I wanted to throw out there is this, and it's twofold. Hiring, I, it always dumbfounds me when, it's always dumbfounding to me when hiring managers don't see the candidate's perspective of that there's got to be something in it for the candidate too, because these hiring managers were once candidates themselves. And they were once looking for opportunities that made sense for themselves, right? And they almost like lose sight of that when it comes time to interview people. 
So the bonus is this. If you were in this job yourself doing it elsewhere, why would it be in your best interest to come do the job with you at this company over anywhere else to do the exact same job? If you can answer that, not, you know, directly, hey, if I was you, this is what, but if you're able to infuse that into your conversation, I guarantee you it's going to help you win more often than not. Because what you're doing is you're truly, truly finding ways that separate your opportunity from the rest of the marketplace. And And a major hint to you, it's not your ping pong tables or your great culture or the fact that you offer, you know, a friendly environment, all those things, because everybody says the same thing. So ask yourself before you get on the phone with these candidates, hey, if I was doing this job now, why do I, what would be in it for me to come do it here? versus doing the exact same job elsewhere. Yeah. And if you can personalize that, that's even next level. Hey, I joined a company like yours, a multi-billion dollar, you know, not a global strategic. And I joined and seven years ago and I've done this, this and this, and I've really enjoyed this piece. And here's what's keeping me here and and make it personal to that, you know, connection. Uh, that's huge. Yeah. You can paint that, paint the dot or uh, connect the dots there. It's amazing to me how disconnected um, hiring managers and interviewers are from their own experiences as a candidate. And just one example that drove me nuts still does to this day. I've worked with a lot of candidates who are fresh out of school. And one thing you learn very quickly is it's near impossible to get that first job out of school. Nobody wants to talk to you. Everybody requires two years of experience. Um, Nobody wants to do the training and development to get a new person up to speed. That's a huge frustration of mine. But All of those candidates I went worked with for a year, two years, I was the shoulder they cried about every time a job didn't work out. They got beat out by somebody with more experience. Every single one of them said, Nick, when I am the hiring manager, I'm going to give people like me a chance. And do you know how many of those people followed through? None of them. I was going to say zero. (laughs) It's it's, right. And you get there and it's like, hey, remember, you said that you were going to give a, a, well, I know I said that, but here's the thing. I've got 36 priorities. My team is really small. If I don't get this done, we're all getting fired. The company's going to, I don't have time to train, right? And so people fall into the exact same loop. And my point is, if you can't take time to empathize with the people that you're going to be recruiting, the candidates. If you can't think about the experiences you had interviewing, good, bad, or otherwise, what were those key elements? What did you love about the companies that impressed you? What did you detest about the companies that you would never go work for? And how can you as a hiring manager show up in the way that you would want to see things as a candidate? I just don't think it's easy to put yourself back in the, into the shoes of the candidate once you're, you've put your hiring manager hat on. You know, I think some of that might be mindset too. I feel like younger, younger, not by years, but or newer hiring managers do a better job of it than people that have been in the leadership role for 15 years. And just like you pointed out too, with growth and trajectory, that was always a go-to, you know, eight years ago. Hey, I'm assuming you want to move up the ladder. So here's how you do that. And and then now, and I quoted you yesterday, Nick, like I do a lot uh, about what you did at Beta Bionics with, I was speaking with a regulatory person. You have two paths, the individual contributor path and the and the people management leadership side. And of course, you know, it's very common now. People are like, no, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. Here's what I want to do. And same with the management. I think the old school mindset is I'm establishing dominance and and trust early in the process. Otherwise, you know, if I hire you, you're going to walk all over me or I need to show you, hey, I'm you're lucky to work for me. 
I'm interviewing you, I'm grilling you and, and that. And I think it's been slow to evolve. And I think people that are a little bit, you know, closer removed or less far removed from being on the other side of the table, get it. And then they make it a much more, it's a, a personal conversation. When I debrief with candidates and they love it when it's, it's, they're like, I didn't even feel like that was an interview. That was just an informal conversation. Um, but you know, the, the hiring manager did a good job of getting their questions answered and, and getting it done. It wasn't just like they're sitting over a coffee for an hour and they didn't get accomplished anything, but it didn't feel like here, tell me a time when dot, 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 and then back then tell, you know, you succeeded and you failed. And if you were a tree, you're this country, you know, so I think it, it can be different than what, you know, I think managers and leaders were taught you know, a dozen years ago. Good stuff, guys. Well, I think this was uh, a, a great show where we kind of got in and, and gave some some pointed ideas of how you can help solidify interest on the initial call with hiring managers. For those of you who have any questions, of course, feel free to leave them in the comments here. We'll address each one of them. You can always reach out through DM, but if nothing else, we'll be back live uh, next week with another talent topic here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. Thanks so much, guys. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.